Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial, episode 41. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. And I'm Matt. So we wanted to adjust our show formatting today and just jump right into talking about the events that took place in Paris on Friday night. Over 120 people were viciously murdered when ISIS, aka the smegma of our world at the moment, led a coordinated attack against multiple locations in the city. Just like the rest of the world, we were watching as this happened, and we've been following the updates of the last few days. Um, And we'll get into those in a minute. But first, I wanted everyone to kind of have some space to talk about how we feel and how we reacted to this. Elisa, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, I. It's hard for me to put into words because I was, as I was telling you, Laura, for some reason, this really hit me. You know, we see a lot of tragedy every day uh, on cable news. And even here in the United States, we see a lot of mass shootings, unfortunately. And I think that, speaking for myself, there are times where I feel that I've become numb to it. Something about what happened in Paris uh, really shook me to my core. I was definitely not numb to that. I was actually leaving work when I heard about it. And I was driving in my car, listening to the radio, and felt, I I mean, not not to be melodramatic, but I I felt nauseous. I felt really genuinely sick to my stomach. I think it was hearing about the hostages in the concert hall that really got to me because something about the idea of of those people knowing that in all likelihood they were going to die and that waiting game of having nothing to do, of being helpless. I mean, that was, I mean, it was excruciating to listen to, but um, I don't know that that was my, that was my reaction driving home. And I think like everybody else, I was glued to the news, hoping to God that they got people out. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, um, what about you? I know Um, we were all in communication with each other. Yeah, I mean, we were all, we were all texting each other frantically pretty much like minute by minute throughout that entire day. It was, I mean, it was really, there's something about it, like Elisa was saying, that was really surreal about watching it. We, along with pretty much the rest of the Western world, were shocked to mm-hmm. see something like this happening in Paris, right? It seems, it seems right. very out of place. And whether that's a good or a bad thing, um, you, you can make your own judgments about that. But it, mm-hmm. it did seem very out of place for for the rest of the Western world. And I think that's why it did affect us so strongly. It's just the number of attacks too was disturbing. It was six or seven attacks all happened at the same time. I I think that was the most frightening part because it it was just so well executed, even though I hate to kind of compliment it that way. It was just so well coordinating that they were able to pull this off. Yeah. Um, I'll say that I actually have two very good friends of mine who live in Paris yeah. Um, so that was horrifying. <laughs> um, thankfully they're okay. Yeah. They actually you, weren't even, sorry. You got to take advantage of that new Facebook feature. Yeah, actually all of, I mean, my, my two friends who live there, plus the family member, one of them is actually Parisian and all of her family members who I've actually met as a result of being at their wedding, um, they were all checking in safe. And it was like, every time somebody checked in safe, I felt a little bit of weight lift off my shoulders, but it was still just, Mm -hmm. it was horrifying. Like I, I don't even have words to describe it. There were random points throughout the weekend where I just caught myself like bursting into tears Mm -hmm. over what had happened. And it would just be while I was doing something totally innocuous, like washing a cup and I would just start crying. Well, one of, um, one of my, one of my bosses at work actually, uh, one of his friends is, uh, I think his daughter um, was actually uh, killed oh, in that stadium, and I I don't know if or I don't know if it was in the stadium, but I well, yeah because she was one of the hostages. And well, that they, was actually in the club. Yeah, in, in the club. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they they were in contact. Apparently, what happened was like he was he was hearing it from his friend saying like they um 
they were hearing uh they were getting texts from her and everything and then she was escaping but that was the last that we heard that, that he heard from her i i'm really reticent to use this comparison because there are a lot of differences but also not uh and that's that's 9-11 and i some of the footage that was released, I don't know how much you guys saw, but there was some footage that um, just just made it all the more poignant to me. For example, there was a there was a, a clip that someone had taken of people hanging off the sides of the building oh God, in the yeah. Bataclan. Yeah, I saw. They that. were trying to escape through the windows, and I mean, they're hanging, um, just trying to trying to survive and there was something about that that reminded me and I think a lot of people a little bit at least of all the people who were trying to escape the fires in the World Trade yeah. Center and they were mm -hmm. jumping yeah um, I I mean I, I live in New York and um there you know so many people who live here um and who lived here during 9-11 said the same thing so I feel like you know if people who live through that are drawing the comparisons, then you're probably right on target. Um, I did also want to say that we have a few members of the Millennial Facebook group who live in Paris and also who have friends and family there. Um, thankfully, everybody checked in and everyone was okay. Yeah, um, that was that was a sorry. That was a really cool feature that that Facebook does, and that's not really something that many of us say very often. But the the checking in thing on Facebook. I thought was a really was a really neat feature to see. Yeah, I was glad to see that they they used activated it, it. Um, mm -hmm. for terrorism related. They the original plan was to stick with weather events, only natural disasters. Right. So for for I think this is another reason that Facebook is going to be around for the long term because people are going to start right. depending on this type of. Feature. Well, it's yeah. such a it's such a perfect medium for for something like this too because mm -hmm. everyone's connected. Everyone has a Facebook, and it's, I mean, yeah, it's fair to say a very people large Facebook. Yeah. Right. So I think I think it was the perfect outlet to, to use this kind of check-in feature, and so. Yeah, so I, 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 was I did. Saying, yeah, I was really excited to see that. Yeah, but, it was great, and I, I was just, I want to reiterate, I was so glad to see that, you know, the members of our community who were able to check in with us that they were okay, and we're just, um, we're thrilled mm -hmm. to see that and we just want you guys to know that our thoughts are with Paris so we did want to kind of launch into what happens now right right um France's response I don't know if you guys saw the videos that got posted of this but within 24 hours of these attacks France was launching airstrikes against Raqqa um yeah. which is like kind of the ISIS central capital of uh yeah it's their yeah. home base in Syria um and which they had already actually been leading airstrikes against Syria before this happened. So let's talk about that. What do you guys think? Okay. <laughs> uh, fighting violence with violence? Uh, yeah. I say do it. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> Elisa kind of mentioned this when we were talking in our group chat uh, on Friday. And uh, it got me really thinking about it. it the The... It's kind of it. It's a Republican way of thinking. It's just carpet bomb ISIS. Just just go and attack them. Now I know easier said than done. You're gonna hit a lot of innocent civilians. Um, so I don't I don't I don't subscribe to this. Let's just bomb these wide areas. But mm -hmm. I think what France did very quickly was good, and it makes their people feel better. They, the, um, the people of France and the world really want to see some action on ISIS and. Um, France took care of it to some degree pretty quickly. Well, we, do we know like what they what happened after the bombings? Like what they what they bombed? Yeah, well, there yeah, were they, some they targets. bombed. Uh, yeah, I mean, there were obviously civilian casualties. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the reason why I take pause and I what we're doing when we bomb these places is we are creating the terror groups of tomorrow. That's what we're doing. We're putting fuel on the fire. Now, I don't think there's really any good answer because we have to respond, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, through our response, we're just breeding more terror. Right. Right? Other... Terror begets terror and war begets war. Well, and this... it, it just feels like this endless cycle that we're trapped in and that we can't mm -hmm. get out of. 
and I and I know like it's 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 a typical reaction for anybody to want to get revenge on something that happened so personal. Yeah. But also, I think we also need to impose caution when doing so. Like uh, the president, Francois Hollande, I think is is how Hollande. you pronounce it. Hollande. Yeah, he said. Yeah, he um, yeah, he's he 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 called the um the the ISIS after ISIS claimed responsibility, he called it an act of war and vowed a merciless quote response. Right. So I, I think he's allowed to say that when your when your country gets attacked and close to two hundred people die and hundreds more injured, I think you can think that and you're allowed to um, set up a few airstrikes mm-hmm. on well, ISIS. I mean, because I don't... the other thing to keep in mind is that if you're if if we don't do anything, if we just sit with our hands under our asses, then they continue to um, do attacks like these. The mm-hmm. the, the plane in Russia. But what, yeah, what I'm, what I mean, what's I'm not I'm not knocking what he said like an act of war. Absolutely, like this is this was done on French territory. Like they had to impose something they never done before by closing the borders to the country, and. I, I totally understand that like this has to stop, not only just for our country, but to stop this from happening anywhere else. But when we hear these kind of speeches from leaders saying uh, like merciless response or when uh, pre- uh, back after 9-11, uh, President uh, George W. said, um, I don't know exactly what he said, but basically it was like, we're going to fuck them up. You know, we're going to get these guys. Right. So this is why I'm really in favor of recognizing what the trade-offs are. There's always a trade-off, right? We either do respond and we create more terrorism or we don't respond and we potentially um, are at higher risk of having things like this happen here in the future. But something else that I wanted to talk about, especially in regards to people's feelings of revenge um, and the potential breeding of Islamophobia in the West even more than we have it now, is the debate over refugees coming to the USA um, we should see, we, we should have seen that about four governors, at least as far as I know, four governors so far have, um, said that they will not be allowing Syrian refugees more than into oh, their it's, states. It's it has gotten to be more than, are you serious? It's 28. There's a map right now on CNN. So, just yeah. to show you how quickly this has moved. I was reading about this last night, less than 24 hours ago, and it was four. At that oh point. yeah. Oh, I'm seeing so it too. So as of. 26, I mean, 26 governors have issued statements saying they would bar Syrian refugees from settling was, in their states. It was 27 earlier today, and then my governor, um, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, added his name to it, making him 28. Um, that's as of like 5 p.m. today. I don't know what's happened since then, but oh wow, yeah, okay, it's more wow. it's more than half of the country, and I'm not sure that I want to bring politics into this at all, but it should. It, maybe it's worth noting that of mm-hmm. the 28 governors um, who have said they're not going to allow refugees into their state, 27 of them are Republican governors. Um, I don't I, – I can't abide by this at all. To me, this seems like knee-jerk, reactionary bullshit. Mm-hmm. And I think – I understand, of course, I understand the inclination to protect – you know, your own citizens. And I know that it's coming from a well-intentioned place, but it doesn't change the fact that it's ignorant. And ultimately I think it's cowardly. I think the United States is supposed to be standing. I mean, we're supposed to be standing for something here, right? Is that just me? Is that, am I I I crazy to think that? Or are we actually supposed to be like, I find it really kind of silly though, that this is even a conversation that we're having because each state doesn't have its own borders. Like it's one country. That's correct. So, so if once if just one of the states is accepting it, then the entire country, you know, if they get fucked, they're fucked. So why can't if the people who are not accepting it, why don't they just accept uh, accept it but ask for increased screening on? Well, that that is what they're doing. That is what they're doing. But it they they are saying that we're not going to accept refugees until there's increased screening but that doesn't change (laughs) but let's just point this out though currently the screening process for refugees can take anywhere from 1.5 to 3 years so I don't know what the fuck more increased screening they want and 
I mean, the, they're like operating under this false assumption that every state has its own immigration policy. And it does. Exactly. That's all right. I, I all right. I posted something to Facebook earlier and I'm just going to read yes, a part of please. it because I loved it. Because this is, I think, just sums up how I feel in a nutshell. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan just announced that he's refusing refugees. So in the face of unmitigated fear-mongering, let's lay one actual fact on the table. The United States has accepted more than 750,000 refugees since 9-11. Not one of them, not one, has been charged with terrorist activity. You're free to shit your misguided little pants over a humanitarian crisis if you want, but let's at least call a spade a spade and acknowledge that you're playing right into ISIS's agenda. You're punishing the victims of violent oppression for the acts of their oppressors, creating more injustice, discord, and ill will that will feed perfectly into ISIS's messaging that will lend credence to their worldview that will help them, not us. More to the point, the terrorist attacks on Paris showed us just what kind of heinous, morally bankrupt psychopaths Syrian refugees are fleeing. Bearing witness to those attacks, getting a cruel taste of these refugees' lives, should inspire us to be more compassionate, not less. For a nation that brands itself as exceptional and enlightened, I can't think of a more un-American response than that of Governor Hogan's or of the 27 others following suit. Very well yeah. said. There, there were two other things I noticed on the internet today. One of them relates to something Elisa said. First of all, this kind of went viral today. A lot of people are pointing out, hey, guys, uh, Steve Jobs' biological father was a Syrian immigrant. So if, uh, you know, he came over and he turned out all right. But you see these sweeping statements from a lot of the Republican candidates today, too, including Trump, of course. I had to unfollow one of my or unfriend one of my high school friends today because he shared this stupid video of Trump getting all pissed at Obama for letting these migrants come over. Um, it, I think that they're that these governors and these candidates candidates are bitching about it just because Obama is for it. They need something else to bitch about, so they're bitching about this. And they are going to find people, these candidates and these governors are going to find people in America who agree with this line of thinking that um, we shouldn't let people be coming over. Uh, yeah, well, they're, they're also apparently unaware of the fact that the governors can't legally do this anyway. Right. So all they can do is sit there and bitch about it and hate, hate right. on Obama. And it's funny to me that the majority of the, uh, those speaking out against refugees right now being allowed in their state are conservatives who worship the Constitution when, in fact, it's the Constitution that gives the federal government purview over this. Article 1, Section 8 um, says Congress shall have full power to establish uniform rule of naturalization and immigration. I, that's that's I mean, that's game set match so you can go fuck yourselves yeah i actually saw a really good status that has also gone viral over the last day or so and it was somebody saying something like i really hope that when these conservative christian governors try to turn people away from their states this year they say merry christmas instead of happy holidays to them it's like <laughs> oh yeah well it's oh. true it's like come on like the height of irony like if only there were like a culturally relevant story about a Middle Eastern family being turned away during a time of need at this time of year. No room at the end, Miss Virgin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And just to bring this back to the original story, which of course is about France and not the United States. This is also, I mean, this is also something that that they're struggling with as well. I mean, I've been reading a lot about you know, France and and mm -hmm. Europe more broadly sort of trying to figure out what's appropriate here. You know, where how do you how do you even begin to know um, where to draw the line between, you know, security and civil liberties right now? And um, they're struggling with these same questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that, you know, I have a lot of friends from all over the world and I'm reading their Facebook statuses. And one of them said, oh, I wonder uh, how wise it was to let Syrian refugees into France without any kind of security clearance. And I would just like to point out that all but one of these terrorists were either French or Belgian nationals. So 
clearly the refugees mm-hmm. aren't the problem. The mm-hmm. problem is the Islamophobia that we are breeding in the West mm-hmm. that drives these people, that radicalizes them and makes them feel like they have nowhere else to turn but ISIS. Which is exactly what ISIS wants. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's such a shame that that this week especially, we've there's been so much talk about this whole immigrant issue. And all these governors are part of the problem by by complaining about about the law. Yep, they're playing into ISIS's hands. Exactly what Matt said. Thanks for now, jerking them off, guys. Yeah. Now, I did want to say that ISIS bombings also occurred in Beirut and in Baghdad. Um, and many are calling out the media focus on the attacks in the West for um, neglecting to cover these attacks. We do want to talk about them as well. And we want to discuss sort of the social media response to this, how people have been calling out the focus on Paris when these terrible things are happening every day in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that in After Dark and kind of try to like sort of parse all of these discussion points because it's really not as black and white as it seems. It's very complicated. a lot to Um, say about that. Yeah, so do (laughs) I. So we're going to cover that in After Dark today. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be... Andrew, you're not even going to be here for uh, Yeah, I know. All right. So a um, couple of entertainment stories we wanted to talk about. This is actually a very big week. But first of all, Laura, are you a uh, Missy Elliott fan? Um, I would say moderately. Moderately. It's more, it, moderately. The reason why Missy Elliott dropping this new video kind of appealed to me is it sort of it, it kind of pulled feelings of like childhood nostalgia. Like I remembered being in middle <laughs> school listening to Missy Elliott. And also I thought the video was really great. Did you guys watch it? Oh my God. She was killing it in this video. Yeah, I, I mean, was so happy to see this video. <laughs> let's listen to a bit of the song. This is called WTF, Where Are They From? So this is Missy's uh, first single in a long time. Her her last album was The Cookbook back in 2005. I mean, yeah, uh, Laura, you're right. That you, you When you think of Missy, you think of the good old days with Get Your Freak On and Let Me Work It and Lose Control. Yeah, But definitely. this song... I, it's not the classic Missy I know oh, and love. Oh, I completely disagree. I think she's just thinner than probably what you remember. Uh, well, I'm listening to music. I'm not imagining her size. Um, oh, no. I yeah, think I, this didn't, is, I this, didn't know that this, had anything to do with it. I, I don't know, because like he, the only song that most people know was Work It. And, you know, she was she was a bigger girl back then. But I, I think this song emulates Missy completely a lot of her songs i think are the same like it's it has a very like early 2000 late 1990s kind of vibe well in bigger and... music news adele is dropping her new album this friday uh this is 25 and she released another new song this week called uh when you when you well, the way you well, when we were young right when we were young that's it of course it's testing you it's a it's it's actually a really good song. <laughs> and she released it. I found it interesting. She she didn't even release the studio version to debut it. She released a live studio recording, a video of her with her band recording it. And we'll see if that's actually what it sounds like on the album, if it's that if it's that same uh session. But I I thought it was interesting because it just shows how great of a voice she has on her she can she can debut a song with a quote-unquote live performance but are you guys excited for the new adele are you guys yeah i'm I'm totally excited i'm not really an adele fan i have to confess so okay yeah i mean whether you like adele or not you have to admit that she is one of the voices of our generation oh she has a gorgeous voice my god i'm just not a huge fan of her music oh okay i can i can recognize that somebody is talented without actually being yeah. a huge fan of them. Yes. Yes. Oh, of I'm course. so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> and speaking of girl power, two big releases this Friday. Did I, any of you watch Marvel's Daredevil, the Netflix um, series? I watched I watched a good I think at least half of the show. Um I think I just got lost in watching it with the 
three dozen other shows that I have to watch. But yeah, I'm I would say I'm familiar with it, but I haven't actually watched the entire thing through. I really like it. I do. I think it's a good show. And go go ahead, Andrew, if you want to introduce <laughs> so the show. I, I've um I watched Daredevil and absolutely loved it. But the other Marvel shows I tried to watch. I watched Agents of Shield. I tried. I didn't get into it. Agent Carter I like. Agent Carter is a fantastic character. I didn't love the show. But Daredevil, I don't know if it's just a Netflix brand. It's like Netflix, whatever whenever they do an original series, they like sprinkle crack in it and i become addicted to it mm-hmm. i i was just so obsessed with daredevil maybe it's because you can binge it i don't know i think also it's i think the biggest comparison is that this is on this is on netflix and agent of shield and agent carter are both on a network show abc which is owned by disney and so they have a they have a certain you know stipulations and right they can't say rules. Fuck. yeah they can't they can't do many things they can't have sex they can't yeah, they can't do a lot of th- things. And what I think is the biggest comparison, the biggest difference, actually, between uh, this show, a Daredevil, and the new show, Jessica Jones, is that they have a more noir, a film noir feeling to it. It's a lot darker, right. literally, and it, it it deals with, you know, a lot more realistic uh, things right. that it's happen with crime. it's less superhero-y, like Captain yeah. America doesn't show but up and But shit it's like also that. more than that. Like with Daredevil, it's not so much a superhero movie. It's more of a crime film that has you know superhero undertones to it and he's blind so his other senses senses are extremely heightened so it, right. it makes for interesting viewing mm-hmm. i'm I, I just saw actually the trailer for jessica jones uh before we recorded and i gotta say i got really excited not only because david tennant from doctor who's in it but uh kristen ritter uh, is, is is an amazing actress uh i don't know if you guys remember her she was in don't trust the bee in America in apartment twenty three. Breaking Bad. She was in um, Big Eyes, that movie recently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's just re- she's a really good actress, and I'm just so happy that she's getting this kind of work now. Yeah, but so that arrives this Friday. All episodes will be released like Netflix always does. I'm looking forward to it. The reviews are really good as well. And then finally, Mockingjay Part Two comes out this Friday, and I wanted to talk about that because this is kind of the hot book to film adaptation right now and it's been a really good run i i think and we wrote a, an article about this on hypable today and we got some shit for it i genuinely think <laughs> the hunger games is a better book to film adaptation than harry potter oh it, yeah oh yeah absolutely I, okay. I i agree but like on certain stipulations like i'm not saying that the the movies were amazing adaptations i mean amazing uh, the story in itself is a lot easier to translate onto a film. Girls, exactly. why do you like it? Why do you think it's better than Harry Potter? I, I think for the reason that Matt just laid out is that you know the Hunger Games as as a book, it's not it's not quite so robust in terms of plot. So there's not there aren't as many moving um, pieces to account for in terms of you know getting stuff from the 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 book onto the screen and then haven't they also had the same director throughout for the last three yeah uh okay, yeah, yeah. For, yeah for the last well, technically two but it's now three i i was such a huge fan of these movies i gotta say the first one and the second one i thought were on par like they they they, they were they were amazing they were really good i have Once, to say like Oh, go, go ahead, man. Oh, I was just going to say, once they announced that they were putting Mockingjay into two movies, I lost so much respect for the franchise. And it, and I have yet to be, uh, I have yet to be uh, Rewarded. proven wrong. Yeah. I have yet to change my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I, much, I, it's a much, I think Harry Potter is a much better story. They're much, much better books in my opinion, but the adaptation is a no brainer to me. I mean, Hunger, oh, yeah. and it, for me, it's because frankly, Hunger Games didn't, didn't dumb a lot of things down. It didn't, it didn't veer into like childish territory like some of the Harry Potter mm-hmm. films did. The Harry Potter films got better as they went on. But the first several, I mean, even, I mean, even even uh, Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire, they just had a sort of like Play-Doh kind of like coloring book feel to it. Mm-hmm. 
like the music and like nothing was like really as dark and as intense as it was supposed to be. Whereas mm-hmm. Hunger Games did not shy away from that right. at all. With Hunger Games, you have a lot of room to to kind of take liberties and to make a story better on film than what Harry Potter did because Harry Potter had so much content that you really had to choose one direction to go with the movie and sometimes it kind of fell flat. And and the 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 one reason why the Hunger Games really stands out to me is that you can look at the messages that this story is telling right now and connect them to the real world. I mean <laughs> In mocking, I apologize for laughing, but in mocking Jay Part Two, Katniss sneaks into the Capitol by pretending to be a refugee. Like this is way too realistic in terms of what's going on in the real world right now. I mean, it resonates, yeah, yeah, definitely, it's just because like, of what's happening right now. But I mean, that's what happened in the book. It, well, right, I know it's it's just a co- it's a coincidence, but I yeah. Just... Well, it's it's also not an original story, right? I oh, mean, oh, are you gonna? Say no, Savannah I'm not. Ripped it off. No, I'm not saying she ripped it off. First of all, there are no original stories. What I'm saying is that this is not the first time in literature or in real life that somebody has addressed a refugee situation, right? Oh yeah, I know. So I mean, I I think like you said, it's pertinent to you know things that are maybe going on now, but it's also pertinent to a lot of sort of global affairs. Mm-hmm. And, and, I think and... you could draw parallels between a lot of different things that have happened in the world and things that happen in the Hunger Games. And one mm-hmm. last thing before we move on to a Hunger Games-related topic. Fuck Lionsgate for they, – they are putting together Hunger Games theme parks now. And by the way, there are going to be spinoff movies. They're, they're, they're putting together these theme parks. One's in Dubai. Another one's going to happen in Atlanta in a few more years. And it's just so disturbing, especially the people who are excited about it. Because these themed lands, like the Wizarding World of Harry Potter – you know, they're kind of small, are going to be set in District 12. And it's like, who wants Why? to go to a theme park that makes such a horrific situation into entertainment? You go to I a know. theme park to escape, to go to fantasy it's world. It's not fucking funny. Also, funny. it's District 12, and they're putting the theme park in in the same location where they filmed it. So you're basically going into a theme park to see the things you saw on your drive over to the theme park. And I feel like it's super insensitive because isn't District 12, don't they, I mean, all of the districts, but them in particular, don't they really struggle with, you know, starvation and things like that? So it's like kind of making light of a situation that's really fucking serious. Yeah. What I don't understand about this is I can see, like, okay, Harry Potter fans being like, oh, I want to go to Hogwarts, or, like, Narnia fans being like, oh, I want to go to Narnia. But Hunger Games fans, like, no fucking thanks. Right. Oh, I want to go to scraps of food. Nobody wants to do that. What? Are they they building the capital? Because that's the only thing that would be interesting. Yeah, that would have made a little more sense, even though it'd still be fucked up. Well, no. It like, says it says on um, Entertainment Weekly that they're building. You can you can ride the 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 high speed train, which is one of the features at the park from yeah. District Twelve to the Capitol. Oh, so, yay! But it's still set in District like the physical buildings oh, are District God. Twelve. So, oh, stupid. I I just lock the people. A who standalone this idea. Just lock them ridiculous. in it's, and walk away. I'm if just I'm wondering like what just... what the attractions are going to be like I'm sorry is your name going to be put in the fucking raffle <laughs> right. Like, Ooh, are, you, are you gonna go to a show where you're watching people murder each other? Like, I'm sorry, nothing about this sounds appealing. Ooh, yeah, I, I don't picked. really so want exciting. to meet any of the characters. <laughs> when when rumors started flying uh, a couple years ago, I wrote this article on Hypable called Ten or whatever terrible ideas for the Hunger Games theme park. And one idea was um, Peta's Hunger bread, Games theme park. Peta's bread factory sponsored by Subway. Well, oh, New York oh, Times article a couple weeks ago says they're God. doing Peta's bakery. <laughs> this is too much. I mean, it's gone way too far. This is it's just seems like far. a waste of money. What else has gone too far, Elisa? Speaking of J Law. Well, speaking, yeah, speaking of uh, our Jared Katniss, Jennifer Lawrence, this happened a few weeks ago, but I've been meaning to talk about since then. Jennifer Lawrence wrote 
a kind of open letter discussing gender equality and a pay discrepancy in Hollywood. She was talking about how a number of months ago there was the Sony hack. I'm sure we all remember that. And one of the things that came out were people or actors and actresses' salaries and how much they were being paid per movie. And she realized, looking through those numbers, that she was getting paid less than all of her male counterparts, even though she was the star of the film. And she wrote, uh, quote, if I'm honest with myself, I would be lying if I didn't say there was an element of wanting to be liked that influenced my decision to close the deals without a real fight. I didn't want to seem difficult or spoiled. At the time, that seemed like a fine idea until I saw the payroll on the internet and realized every man I was working with definitely didn't worry about being difficult or spoiled. This could be a young person thing. It could be a personality thing. And I'm sure it's both. But this is an element of my personality that I've been working against for years. And based on the statistics, I don't think I'm the only woman with this issue. I'm over trying to find the adorable way to state my opinion and still be likable. Fuck that. I don't think I've ever worked for a man in charge who spent time contemplating what angle he should use to have his voice heard. Um, I want to talk about, cause I thought it was really well said, um, uh, but also because it doesn't, it's not just applicable to Hollywood. Of course, it's applicable mm -mm. to the, the country, the world as a whole. So I guess my first question to you guys is, well, do you agree with that? Do you think it is applicable? Do you think that there is a systemic gender, um, inequality problem in the workplace? Yes, because yes. I've seen it firsthand. And there's research to support this, which yes. we've spoken about, I think, in recent mm -hmm. weeks. My holdup is, I think it, it I, I get what Jennifer is doing, and she released this in a newsletter that Lena Dunham recently launched, and I think it was the perfect place for it. But I think it was a little, um, it's hard to relate to her when she's talking about millions upon millions of dollars. But with that said, I did like how honest she was and, you know, using the F word to get our point across. I, I thought it was good, but I, I I would rather listen to other people's opinions about it. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I, I think that's part of the reason why she said that she didn't want to come across as being difficult or spoiled, yeah. right? Because it's so much money. So I can agree, like, as, as a as a middle-class gal, like, reading that, I find it difficult to relate to to her purely because like yes she's making less money which is wrong on principle mm -hmm. but her making less money doesn't actually impact her quality of life she right. still makes but that's also what she, money. but she definitely addressed that and that's why i yeah. that's why i do commend this because she she did say that this by no means says that i am a victim just like you i'm saying that this is my opinion on the revelation of what just happened well, I and, think what she's saying is that it impacts people of all economic classes, mm -hmm. which is what makes it relatable. Right. Well, what she, yeah, w one of the things she said was about how she had to always find a way to be adorable when stating her opinion so people will not think she's on the rag or something. And, you know, comparing herself to her, uh, her co-workers, uh, Jeremy Renner, Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper – they they all she she quoted that they all fought and succeeded in negotiating uh, powerful deals for themselves, and in fact that they were probably commended for being very tactical, very you know very fierce about it. But she has to be actually tactile with how she says it because she doesn't want people to think she, uh, that she's coming off as a brat or being a or just a spoiled little rich girl. Like there's right yeah, there's there a is different there is right there is there yeah there is a diff a different view there. And I think that that is one of the main points that we need to take away from this. And I think, and I think even though I agree with Andrew's point, you know, you hear about someone like Jennifer Lawrence, who is like currently the highest paid actress out there. And you hear about her bringing these things up. And some people have the attitude of, you know, oh, cry me a river, right? Uh, she acknowledges that to be fair. She fully, she's fully cognizant of that. But on the other hand, who better to say something? Because if I say something, 
no one's gonna listen besides you guys like mm -hmm. it doesn't make headlines though you know what i'm saying right. and someone in jennifer lawrence's position who has the the ear of the news cycle who can actually make a headline i mean who better to normalize this conversation than someone with the capacity to do mm -hmm. so so i'm super proud of her it can't be easy because no. i'm sure she's getting a lot of fucking hate mail oh, i'm sure yeah. she's getting so much harassment but um, like, well, the situation that she had is a perfect connotation for anyone in the workplace for a woman. Because, look, the movie that that they that they were talking about was uh, American Hustle, and she was like the lead, like she was the star of that movie. And at that time, she already won an Oscar. She's an Oscar-winning actress. Right. So let's let's actually that segues into what I was going to bring up about pay inequality outside of Hollywood. So for the rest of us, for the average gal, uh, the the sort of known and accepted statistic is that women make seventy-eight cents on the dollar. So for every one dollar a man makes, a woman will make seventy-eight cents. That is from the U.S. Census Bureau. However, that figure is very often and to some extent rightfully um, contended because it doesn't hold things constant. It sort of just looks at the raw numbers that a woman makes, the average woman makes in the United States, and the raw numbers that an average man makes, and then just compares them. But it doesn't take into account the fact that women will – often choose to go into professions that just happen to make less, doesn't account for various factors like that. And so I hear a lot of that. You know, I hear like, oh, well, in fact, women, the pay discrepancy really isn't that much. Once you account for all of those factors, uh, according to the exact same data, by the way, women make 95 cents for every dollar a man makes. However, this is what I think gets lost in that conversation. Yes, you're holding factors constant, and so you're accounting for different things um, in, in that equation. But the things you're accounting for are sexist things. So, for yeah. example, women tend to go into professions that make less money, such as becoming public school teachers. But that is – that women are traditionally seen as public school teachers – and there's a there's stigma there, which, by the way, affects men, too. You know, ask like any male, you know, middle school teacher. I'm sure they receive stigma when they when people find out that they're an English school teacher. So there is sexism at play just in the fact mm -hmm. that women feel compelled to enter certain professions. Well, Number two. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it makes you wonder how well public school teaching jobs would pay if it was a mostly male dominated field. Right. Exactly. And, and, and Exactly. And number two, and this is a huge one, is that the figure, 95 cents, women make 95 cents for every dollar, that figure um, is only true for women who do not get married or have children. And so this is the big one. Pay inequality is, is not as big of a deal between unmarried women and married men. But what's the difference there? Why do we think that is? It's because traditionally, of course, this is not true of every household, but traditionally, women are the one who get stuck doing most of the work when it comes to child rearing. So when we have kids, we have to put our careers on hold because we're the ones who are traditionally expected to stay home, to change the diapers, to feed them. Our careers have to stop. Um, and if they ever get started again, now we're months, years behind. Uh, that is a that's a sexist construct. The fact the the idea that women are the ones who need to be the you know the babysitters mm -hmm. and the caretakers. So, to me, there is a there's this battle going on, right? Like, which is the actual number? Is it seventy eight cents on the dollar? Or is it ninety five cents on the dollar? It's probably somewhere in between, but it's certainly not ninety five cents. Um, no. to be fair, because I mean... it's. No, go ahead. No, because it's just the 95 cents assumes that the woman does not have children, which is a sexist assumption that we need to tell women, oh, you have to choose between children and a career. Yeah, I mean, I can say that I have been in this scenario, and I'm not going to obviously name any names. You um, call them out. No, no, because I... <laughs> 
I don't, I don't like, there's a part of me that's a little bit worried about retribution. Like, and I think that's something that's kind of bred into women is like, we're trained not to try and upset, you know, the social norms. Mm -hmm. That's funny what you all was saying. Yeah, exactly. It's funny you say that too, Laura, because um, the CEO of Sony, uh, Amy Pascal, she uh, she had an interview with uh she, she conducted a couple interviews after she was fired and one of her advices for not only just actresses in the business but for women in the workplace in general uh saying the truth is is that what women have to do is not work for less money they have to walk away people shouldn't be so grateful for jobs people should know what they're worth and say no now of course she's the CEO is by no means a role model in any means she's still a CEO for the, and a studio from the entertainment industry, and most CEOs aren't even considered to be role models in general. But I, 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 I just remember that quote uh, that you that kind of correlates to what you were saying. Yeah, and I, you know, I think it really like if you look at the way that women are sort of socialized to participate in even just discussions, like we're trained to interrupt politely, or like we're we're sort of trained to like let let other people sort of like talk over us Mm -hmm. so it's like it's a really it's a really hard thing to overcome when you've been socialized that way which is the point that i was trying to make right um so i mean i this is not going to happen over a short period of time either right no it's not i was not short period go ahead the point that i was trying to make is that i've been in a situation with various employers where I have made less, usually about 25 to 30 cents less on the dollar than my male counterparts who are performing the same job as me or jobs that are considered to be lateral positions to mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you don't have a dick. You don't understand how hard it is. Right. And I'll, this is the last Especially thing I'll say right on now. the issue. I'm also not going to name names, but I was actually told – this is, I know this is anecdotal, but it's not hearsay. This actually happened to me. I was told that the reason I was being paid less than my male counterparts, who, same job title, same exact responsibilities, and I had more experience and almost my master's degree. So I had more education, more experience, but I was still being paid less. And it was explained to me that the reason was because I could have a child at any time. And if I had a child, they would be, they being the company, would be on the hook for paying for my maternity leave. And so they needed to sort of save up that money uh, just in case I had a kid. That way when I went on maternity leave, you know, it all came out in the wash, so to speak. Which, once again, is just a completely ridiculous discriminatory notion because there are plenty of men in that company who have children. Right. But society says they're not really expected to take the same kind of time off um, or to put their careers on hold the same way that we are. So, Which also impacts them negatively. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. say that. I mean, gender discrimination and gender equality is a male issue, too. 100%. Totally is. Exactly. Because, I mean, what it, I mean, like, what it does is it, it also tells men that you're not allowed to be openly emotional that all the feelings that you have you need to sort of sit on them because if you cry or show emotions that's not manly and mm-hmm. you know the suicide rate the suicide rate for men uh, is higher than that for women and i think that that's that's a gender equality issue but I'm in any vi- case that's so, that's my soapbox i'm i'll be very curious to see if these candidates as we you know we're a year away now from the presidential election if we can actually hear some actual plans for how they plan to um, straighten out the pay gap, because I, I I think this is another one of those issues that it's nice to talk about and you get lots of applause at your campaigns, but will it actually happen? Now, with somebody like Hillary or maybe Carly Fiorina, I would hope that they feel more invested in this, but... I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Do you, do you think, do any of you think this will be actually straightened out, whichever president we get next? That would be um, like saying that having Barack Obama in office got rid of racism. Yeah. So no. <laughs> I don't, I, I think that we put a lot of stock into when we elect our presidents on how 
we as a people will change. Mm-hmm. And th- we are always disappointed after that. Well, so in this week's Hidden from the Headlines, we're completely shifting gears here, uh, kind of to a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about um, the hacktivists. So last week, hackers found that the prison telephone company Securus, which you guys might know from the uh, podcast Serial, um, they are mentioned on there a few times, Securus has been recording and keeping all the phone calls transpiring between our nation's inmates and their lawyers. Now, not just their lawyers, but our nation's inmates and their fathers and friends and children. They're keeping phone records more generally, but not just call stamps. They're keeping actual voice recordings. Um, Securus has somewhere between um, 40 and 50% of the market share. So they don't service every prison in in the country, but a significant number. Um, The hacker's discovery, many feel, reveals a massive breach of constitutional rights and civil law because even though there are prisoners, they're they're convicted felons in most cases, there is something about attorney-client privilege that is sort of sacrosanct in the legal system. The only way an attorney can really protect their client is if they have the privacy to counsel them, um, well, privately. So had you guys, I mean, again, this is hidden from the headlines, so I'm assuming you guys hadn't heard about this. And assuming you didn't, if I'm right, why do you think, we haven't. I mean, Anonymous gets so much traction. When Anonymous discovers something, some wrongdoing, it's all over the place, right? But this wasn't. Yeah. Here's my simple view on this. They shouldn't be treated like second-class citizens in this case, so we should allow them their privacy. Simple as that. But um, I think what what Elise is saying is like also why are we not hearing about this? Because because I don't I'm, I don't think people care. I, I that's what I, that's what I was just gonna say. I think uh, what Andrew was saying kind of connects to it all is that we we do kind of treat them like we do treat them like second class citizens. Therefore, we don't care about this news because we don't care about them. Yeah, I mean that that's that's exactly my point. I don't think we should. If these people are on the phone, I, I it just doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely not right. But I think the larger question is like, as a society, do we really care about the constitutional rights of prisoners? Yeah, Who as a are society, citizens, but like as but... a society though, like as a culture, do you no. honestly care? I don't think we do. The answer no. is no. Of course. And that's why media, that's why the media won't touch it is because they know that it's basically just media. Uh, it's just a, a, a poisonous story that no one's going to listen or they're not going to get anything positive, any positive feedback for a story if they if they if they release it. So they're just going to move on to something else. But that's a shame because let's remember who's on the other end of that phone call. And that is a person, a, a U.S. citizen, who hasn't been convicted of anything. Mm-hmm. And right. they're being recorded, too. So attorney-client privilege aside, which I I feel is a big deal, I think you cannot reasonably expect to have somebody's constitutional rights to a fair trial respected if every word that they utter to their counsel is being recorded and disseminated by God only knows who. So I do think there is constitution constitutionality issue here. But that aside, there's it's not just the felons, you know? It's the yeah. people they're talking to. And it's I don't understand what would be the point of listening in because if they were to bring if they were going to find any information that could that could be, you know, could keep that inmate in jail for forever if it was incriminating they can't use it because it violates his rights it violates the inmates rights anyways yeah i mean i think we're sort of like i think we're sort of like treating these people like they're guilty by association Mm -hmm. almost like we might not want to say that but i do think that a lot of people might regard that like oh you raised a son and he grew up to be a felon well whose fault is that you know people really just 
when they're not thinking about these issues, they're not approaching them with any degree of nuance. You know, they don't know anybody who's been through the justice system. They sort of tend to assume that, well, if there's a criminal and people are associated with them, they're all bad people. It's it's right. like if if they're taking a dump in prison, do do they have security cameras on them? <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. I've never been. To prison. I don't. I'm not sure. sure about security cameras, but they have uh, security. They are yeah. there's people like basically in their asshole I, while they're taking a dump. I, I kind of equate this to the phone listening as like recording them taking a dump. It's it's a private moment in that person's life. Uh, they don't, of course, they don't have much privacy around them. Uh, like when they're having a phone call, it's not like they step into a private room and sh- have a conversation. I watch Orange is the New Black. I see what's up. And um, it, so they should they that should just stay private. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is we'll see. I mean, <laughs> clearly that's not I mean, Securus has come out and and said that they're investigating and um, that you know whatever. So they they they, ha- they haven't had a clear a clear solution or statement to this. They just said that they're investigating the situation. So uh, they say that it wasn't deliberate that anything that was recorded or whatever was not intentional. So we'll, well see what comes a of lie, it. Right. Yeah, I think it probably is, but we'll we'll see what comes of it. Probably not much, but maybe, um, maybe we should listen to their conversations about them talking about it. How would they like that? Yeah, if only. How great of a thing would that be? That would yeah. be great. Can we bug like their executive suite or something and just <laughs> listen to and their executive bathrooms? And then we'll put it online. Yeah. If there was another reason for the NSA to be monitoring the show, they're there it is. <laughs> oh, that would be, be a fun little reveal. We're on the list of podcasts they monitor. That'd be good publicity. What did they say on that millennial? I should start listening. Oh my God. Is there a hashtag? And it's silent? What? All right. So let's move on now to our AP choice. This is from Heather. She's one of the people who support us at the $10 level on patreon.com slash millennial. She wanted us to talk about Pew, 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 video games. I wanted to talk about this because I am mildly obsessed with Nintendo. Heather asked, favorite games, characters, consoles? Maybe a little nostalgia for Nintendo or Sega. Elisa, you're a pretty big gamer too, aren't you? I like like to think I am. Um, (laughs) I Sometimes I get pushback. People will whatever this is a whole different conversation sometimes people think that uh, i'm i'm not really a serious gamer um because i'm a woman and i don't enjoy all the i don't enjoy call of duty i'm sorry guys i think it's a bullshit game <laughs> duty. sorry yeah. not my brother's sorry. really into call of duty and i just don't get it i went through a call of duty phase i don't really get first person shooting games well i liked halo i think halo is a fucking phenomenal game i like mass effect and dead space and all that kind of thing but mm-hmm. you know if you're not a call of duty fan you know get the fuck out is what i is what i hear <laughs> see i still love all the games that i loved when i was a kid like i was really into like crash bandicoot and spyro and like all the different racing games i don't even remember there were like a million of them diddy kong racing yeah 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 um I don't know. Like I, I'm probably like a pretty basic gamer. I don't know if there is such a thing. But... I am too. Here's my thing with gaming. I can't get invested in a big game that requires tons of gameplay. I need something short, like Mario Kart or The Sims or Sim City, because I, I just my life's a game. I don't, I don't have time for these long form <laughs> games. See, like, I'm kind of the exact opposite, where I love, like, adventure games, where, like, you click, like, The Legend of Zelda, or um, even, like, fucking Kirby, or Kingdom Hearts, I, mm-hmm. but I don't put that much time into it. I just, if I need a couple hours to kill, then I'll play it for a couple hours, and then I'm done. Oh. But, yeah, I see, like, I'm not that big on, I'm not a big gamer person. Like, I don't think I've played a video game in years and yeah. it's just um, I don't I just uh, I there's so much TV to watch and there's so much life to live. 
See, that's just... the thing. I I binge video games. I think the way a lot of people binge Netflix. So yeah, I totally I, get it. Uh, for yeah. example, and I recommend this to all of you guys. Seriously, uh, Dead Space is an incredible fucking game. I mean, there's there's three of them, but um, it's it's so fucking frightening. I'm not easily scared, right? Okay, you've heard my stories. I lived at Chickahominy, and I've survived to tell the tale. Dead Space. I was actually in tears. I'm playing it like in the dark and I have like tears streaming down my face and you know, I have to like hold my brother's hand and I'm like crying <laughs> in the corner. It was actually that bad. It's, it's Isn't, fucking uh, aren't video games supposed to be fun. Like it is fun. <laughs> it is fun. It's fun to like be scared. And then, you know, I don't know. Shoot and ex- let them explode. And stuff. it's fun to burst into tears. But like, for example, I played I played all three of them kind of at once, like within a you know a week and a half or something, and then I didn't play for a while. I love the Mario games. I've spoken about that here previously. Loving Super Mario Maker, mm-hmm. um, The Sims. I was obsessed. I was obsessed with The Sims Online. I was literally addicted. My parents had to cancel my subscription to prevent me from continuing to play. Because I that that world consumed me like I was living in a virtual world for like a good year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. My do life. You still, re- do you remember your family? In The Sims, yeah. yeah. Well, in The Sims Online, you you played as one character, and my character I named myself. It was Clebus Putum. <laughs> it was oh a, my God. He was a hot dude, and. <laughs> You named him Cletus? What was his name again? Wait, Cletus P- Pudum. P O O D O M. I don't know why. I was young. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I developed feelings for a virtual sim. Not mine, a girl in the game. You had a crush on a virtual on a yeah, sim. I did. And 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 it was a woman? <laughs> yeah, it was a female sim. And I vaguely remember like things. <laughs> Okay. Wait, with, did you oh, okay. that? Keep going. Guys, shut oh, up. Oh, things got started feeling a little serious when we <laughs> took our conversations out of the Sims game and we started chatting through AIM. <laughs> oh my god. It was, oh my god. Oh god, I still remember what she looked like too. Her avatar. You totally jerked off to her avatar. Probably. Anyway, I was really yeah, so I was really just like I don't quite recall. I feel so much better about my serious black orgasm now. <laughs> what? So much we'll better. Save that for another. We'll save that for another. Yeah, episode. I need to hear about that another time. But um one other question I had for you guys related to games. Do you guys play card games much like with friends at parties Yeah, or? I like yeah. card games actually. Cranium, I am all about mm. Cards Against Humanity. It's amazing. There's a new one I'm going to ask Santa for. It was, I believe, it broke Kickstarter records. It's called Exploding Kittens. I've heard of this. Yeah, there's a there's a not safe for work edition. It's like it's like a flip card type of game. Anyway, the reviews are fantastic. People just fell in love with it after reading the Kickstarter. It's on Amazon. It's only twenty bucks. I think. Yeah, there's one um, that I kind of like. It's called. I actually got it for Christmas last year. It's called The Resistance. I don't know if you guys have heard of this, but it, no, it it appeals to my nature, and I'm sure it would appeal to Elisa too. So it's basically about like a corrupt government, and <laughs> when you're playing the game, it's like anywhere from I think four to six people, um, mm. and two of the people are spies, but you actually don't reveal your identity. So a big part of the game is trying to figure out who the spies are. It's a oh, lot of wow. fun. Yeah. That's cool. You know, more and more, I'm appreciating card games or physical board games because we spend so much time looking at our screens these days that you you play video games like on your TV, but you're still looking at a fucking screen. Mm-hmm. So it's so refreshing to me to, to do an activity besides reading that's social and like doesn't involve looking at a screen. So I really love um yeah, I I, I I really love board games too. I think just interacting with other people is is a lot more fun. And you no, know, it, I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I thought I might be in the minority here. There are actually board game, um, what would be the word? Like venues. Like there's one in L.A. called Game House, H-A-U-S, mm-hmm. Game House Cafe, 
and it's a board game cafe. And they just have a shitload of board games. You pay like five bucks to go in, and you just sit there with your friends and have a cup of coffee and play board games. It's so awesome. Is there a bar? Not at this one, but oh. maybe maybe at other ones. All right, so uh, coming up on After Dark today, as we teased earlier, we have a couple more AP choices, and one of them involves further discussion of the horrible attacks that occurred in Paris. Next week is going to be our discussion. Well, it, it's our Thanksgiving week episode, so we're all going to talk about how thankful we are for each other. Not really. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's be a short I discussion. Didn't... I didn't know that was on the menu. <laughs> I just came for the turkey. Um, and so if if we want to, maybe we'll give you guys more of a specific question on social media later in the week. But we'd love to hear your stories about what you're thankful for. I know that sounds kind of corny to ask. But if, if maybe something weird that you're thankful for, I want to play a game. So so keep, keep an eye on our social media this week and uh, for, for our questions related to thanksgiving um our outro song this week is going to be imagine did you guys see that video of the guy in paris who who pulled out the the piano yeah. and played imagine on piano i thought that was really amazing yeah me yeah. too yeah so um thank you everybody for listening just a quick reminder check out uh, millennialshow.com to get all the information you need about the show and uh, visit our social media to keep an eye out on the latest updates about the show. Twitter.com slash Millennial Show and Facebook.com slash Millennial Show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. And I'm Matthew. We'll see everybody next week for episode 42. Goodbye. Bye. Living